you ever you ever hear as a pastor, well, numbers aren't important. Uh, I'm a kind of a numbers guy. I like numbers. Uh, you imagine a scene if a couple goes to the beach with their three children during the course of the day. One of the children goes missing. They search, they search, and they search, and they can't find the missing child. And finally, Dad says, let's go home. Wife says, let's go home. We're missing one of our children. And he says, honey, numbers aren't important. Amen? They are important. Each one of you are important. Amen? We're glad to see you here. One of the biggest frustrations in life, in my life, in my ministry, is seeing the slipping away from truth. This year, unfortunately, it's been in my family with my uh, children, even one of my children in the pastorate, uh, son-in-law. Uh, the thing that we hold on to in our background as independent fundamental Baptists, uh, the beliefs that we hold on to. In our nation, we see a move toward cancel culture. In our churches, we see a, a move toward cancel culture too. Because today, not only is it enough that I'm going to depart from what I was raised in or how I was treated, but uh, trained, but now, not only do I have to depart from it, but I now have to cancel what my forefathers are, what my teachers are, what uh, my church is. And uh, this, I believe, is affecting our churches, this cancel culture attitude. We've always had young men leave the independent Baptists, but now it's not enough to leave. Now we have to start up a radio program and a podcast called Recovering Fundamentalists. Now we have to uh, do a YouTube channel called the Preacher Boys Podcast, and we have to try to do everything we can to undo what we came from. We even have pastors today who have to take a church vote to see whether they can grow a beard or not. I mean, that's how far we've sunk, amen? One, one trap that we fall... He speaks last, so I, I have to be very careful. One trap that we fall into uh, is, is feelings versus truth. And the majority of people today do not believe in absolute truth. Absolute truth is something that is true at all times uh, and in all places, no matter the circumstances, a fact that cannot be changed. Absolute truth, like there are no round squares. It just can't be. It's an absolute truth. Add to that the death of common sense. We have completely departed, it seems, in our country today, common sense. Common sense is like deodorant. The people who need it the most are the ones that don't use it. Amen? Uh, Barna tells us that if people, uh, that he did a survey on people if they believe there are moral absolutes or if truth is relative to circumstances. And by a three to one margin, 64% versus six, or 22 said truth is relative to the person and their situation. Right and wrong has become subjective depending on someone's opinion or their perception. Now this is a relatively new phenomenon really if you uh, look at history. For most of history, mankind has kind of accepted that there is truth. The fact is that we live on a basis of absolutes in our life, whether we realize it or not. Now, you can say, in fact, I had this in my notes, then I was looking at it this morning, and, I, and we just ran into this yesterday, my dad and I. You can say there's no gravity. We met a guy yesterday who didn't believe in gravity. He was a flat earther. And uh, they don't ask me to explain it, but anyway... He didn't believe in God. But you know what? If you step off a three-story building, you're going to become a convert pretty quick. Amen? I would think. Uh, these things don't change. These are absolute truths. 
So I tell you today with utmost assurance, as a pastor and as a man and as a Christian, there is such a thing as absolute truth. It is this book, and we had better hold on to that. We are called to speak the truth in love, the Bible says. Not always, though, does it come across that way. Jesus was the most tolerant and kindest person who ever lived. And yet, he made some outrageous claims. This is what he said about himself in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way. Listen to how intolerant this is, by the way. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. That is a narrow-minded a mosquito could kick out both eyes with one kick, amen? He was narrow. Truth is uh, from the Word of God, and it is non-negotiable. We're constantly pressured to accept truth today as culture presents it. So if we go against the tide of culture and the LGBTQTEIEIO movement, uh, we are bigots if we go against that. If we speak against abortion, we are against women. If we hold to the New Testament values of church leadership, we're old-fashioned, we're out of date. But But society, friends, cannot determine what we believe. As soon as we allow society to determine that, we're on a fast slope downhill. The Bible is our final authority in faith and practice. Now, as society changes, then, we must absolutely remain steadfast on the truths of the Word of God. After all, by the way, I don't believe these accusations are true anyway. They're, they're false. We don't hate people because we're against sin. We're against sin because we love people, and we know what it does to them. But there are two groups of people I want to look at today, and you could say both of them are kind of in our camp, or could be, And we'll look at two extremes and uh, just uh, contrast them today uh, because we can very easily get caught up in these two extremes. One of them I want to talk about is compassion without truth. These are, this group is led by their emotions. They consider their spirituality to be enlightened because of their pity. They are full of love. By the way, do you know what the definition of an evangelical is? A person who hates people who don't love. Can I say that again? A person who hates people who don't love. That's an evangelical. They will put all their focus on the love of Christ. Truth and sin that takes a back seat to their acceptance of all that they meet. Their motto is, come as you are, leave as you were. This group of people is rarely uh, found to preach against sin. Very seldom do they confront sin. I'm talking about truth without, uh, compassion without truth. This group will produce shallow churches and shallow disciples. These churches will be, well, they'll be feel-good churches. They'll be uplifting. They'll have motivational speakers, not preachers behind the pulpit. Now, don't agree with this man on everything, but Adrian Rogers made a great quote. He said, it is better to be divided by truth than united in error. It is better to be hated for telling the truth than to be loved for telling a lie. You have have compassion without truth. Then you also have the other extreme, truth without compassion. These will have a message packaged in harshness, these churches. They will not connect with people who are not like them, and they'll have no desire to do so anyway. Uh, In Luke chapter 9, the disciples had this attitude. The Bible says in verse 54, and when his disciples James and John saw this, I love this verse because I have felt this verse many times in my ministry. When they saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias did? You ever walked out of a meeting and had that prayer? Hey, Lord, could we just call down some fire from heaven? My goodness, men. 
basically is what Jesus responded to. They have an attitude here of, of truth without compassion. Look at what they wanted to do simply to someone who didn't receive them, didn't receive the message. Hey, I know, let's call fire from heaven. Jesus responded, you know not what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And so they went on to another village. My uh, Jesus looking at them, don't you know what I'm all about? They had the wrong spirit. You know you can be saved and have the wrong spirit. Uh, you can be in the ministry and have the wrong spirit. They, they had a, you can be, uh, have the wrong spirit and not even know you have it. Jesus said to them, you know not what spirit you're of. We can identify outward sin that people are involved in and that's good. We need to. But the problem is you can do the right thing and be consumed with a bad spirit. Truth without compassion. The spirit the disciples had here would leave many people wounded and would accomplish absolutely nothing. This group, truth without compassion, they're all about demanding people to be just like them. Their motto is, come as you are, or we'll, come as you are and we will reject you because you have to be just like us. They're right. They have chapter and verse to prove it, and they'll be quick to show it to you. Now, Jesus was the, was the perfect example of the right balance of compassion and truth. Because both of these are extremely important in our ministry. We have to have compassion, but we have to have truth as well. We cannot lean too far one way or the other. And this is what brings us to Matthew chapter 16. I want you to look at the question that's asked in verse 13. This is the most important question. How many times have you preached this from your pulpit? Most important question you'll ever answer. Jesus asked in verse 13. Asked his disciples halfway through the verse there, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am. By the way, I am sort of almost obsessed about, uh, in an appropriate way hopefully, about the answer in this question about Bible Baptist Church. Who do people say we are? I want the right attitude. I want the right testimony. Uh, now notice in this answer in verse 14, it, this gives us volumes in how Jesus dealt with people. Look at verse 14. And they said, some they say that they are John, thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now it's interesting that they named these three men. These are three very different men. And this is how they said that Jesus might be. Let's look at each one of them. It's instructive as we look at the different men. First of all, John the Baptist. He was strong in doctrine. Man, nobody preached like John the Baptist. When he ripped, he didn't roll back his sleeves. He had none. He had camel hair's uh, vest, and he wore the first motorcycle jacket. I mean, he had, and uh, he preached, and he ripped and roared. He thundered the truth, no matter who was listening. You know the story. One day he's preaching, and the Ministerial Association shows up. And you know when the Ministerial Association shows up, we've got to be careful about what we say. We have to be... Uh, we, have, we don't want to make waves. We've got to include everyone. We've got to get along. Matthew 3, 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come. You remember another story, uh, time he's preaching, and somebody said, Hey, John, 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 today Herod's here. You better be careful what you say. Herod's here. Herod came, Herod's a top guy, and you want to be real careful. So what did John do? He got into the pulpit and he preached against Herod marrying who he married. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth as it was. He preached it as it was. And uh, some say, the Bible says here, some say you're John the Baptist. That tells me that Jesus didn't mince words when he preached. 
He was like John the Baptist. He rolled back his sleeves and preached the word as well. He said in Matthew 23, 13, uh, but woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. He thundered the truth when it was necessary. So much so that he said, Whom say men that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist. Then there is Elias. He was a prophet of miracles. He was known for his miracles. First Kings 17, he uh, causing it to, the rain to cease for three and a half years, being fed by ra ravens. Uh, he was also uh, the one that did the miracle of the uh, cruise of, of uh, the bread and the cruise of oil didn't fail. He resurrected the widow's son in 1 Kings 17. He called fire down from heaven on the altar. 1 Kings 18, he caused it to rain in, in 1 Kings 18. He parted the Jordan in 2 Kings chapter 2. He was being caught up to heaven in a whirlwind in 2 Kings chapter 2. He was a prophet of miracles. It's obvious that Jesus would be related or to, compared to Elijah because he also was a man of miracles. Whom say men that I am? Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. And then there was Jeremiah. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah 9, 1, Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slaying of the daughter of my people. He was known for his empathy for those he preached to. All his life we see him weeping before God on behalf of his people, weeping before the people on behalf of his God. He warns of judgment if they will not repent of their idolatry. He pleads with God to spare his people. He weeps because no one will listen. Whom say men that I am? Some say you're Jeremiah's. Jesus also wept for the people. In Luke chapter 19, he's entering Jerusalem as his exalted king. We call it Palm Sunday. People are waving branches. They're cheering and they're hollering. And they're, they have this parade for him. In verse 37, when he's come nigh, even at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole mount, uh, multitude of the disciples begin to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that he had seen, saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. It was a day of rejoicing. It was a time of, of glorifying the Savior, Jesus Christ. And then the parade stopped. And if anybody was watching Jesus closely, they saw his shoulders hunch and his maybe shake because in verse 41 it says when he was come near he beheld the city and wept over it like the prophet jeremiah before him jesus weeps because he knows that people don't understand him and who he is he uh, they want him now but they're going to change their minds very soon whom do men say that i am some say jeremiah's what a balance you have john the baptist truth you have Elijah, miracles, or his works. And you have Jeremiah for his heart and his compassion. Now, if we could only have the balance that Jesus had. But it seems like mankind is prone to extremes. Haven't you noticed that in today's uh, climate? We swing too far one way or the other. Jesus stood for truth absolutely, wholeheartedly, without compromise. And yet he showed compassion for sinners. So far that people that uh, would call him a friend to sinners, a wine-bibber. Now we can have compassion. Compassion makes a difference. We can have compassion and still hold on to the truth. Uh, it is the only real way to 
have compassion. By the way, Jude 22, and if some have compassion, making a difference. Often in the Bible we see how Jesus was moved with compassion, but not everyone reacts the same way to human need. Consider along with me the Good Samaritan story, Luke chapter 10. Uh, it is, it's teaching uh, us that the Samaritan man saw the need. He took compassion on this man. But do you remember that two people came by before him? The priest and the Levite. Could we say that the priest and the Levite were both obsessed with truth? Oh, they knew the word. They knew what the Bible said. They had zero compassion. But they loved truth, or so they thought. They passed by and went by the other way. Uh, they, they, uh, they knew the word of God far better than the Samaritan, I promise you that. The Samaritan had compassion. Compassion takes ownership. A good definition of compassion is this, when you take someone else's problem and make it yours. That's, a, that's real compassion. Compassion will demand a personal investment. Again, good Samaritan here, he paid the bills. He assumed the responsibility of this man's problem. He did not have to do any of that. If you turn, uh, we won't turn there, but Matthew chapter 8, you'll see one of the greatest scenes of compassion ever in the life of Jesus. In verse 1, when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, and saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus took forth his hand and touched him. You've probably preached on that before. Touched him. Nobody had touched this man maybe in years, and Jesus touched him. And saying, I will be thou clean. We cannot grasp the levity of this moment. We don't know the cultures. Well, we know it. We've studied it. But we weren't in that culture. But lepers were outcasts ever since this man was sick, possibly for years. Uh, he'd been separated from all that he loved and all those that loved him. If he got too close, it was socially acceptable to throw rocks at him. Here's a man who looked at him with acceptance and touched him. It was an act of compassion. Mark 1.41, and Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him. To touch an unclean person is to defile yourself. You know what he did is he made his problem his. Compassion. He took ownership, and he did what no religious leader would have done. So we give two mottos I gave already on these two groups of people. Compassion without truth. The motto is, come as you are, leave as you were. Truth without compassion. Come as you are, and we will reject you. But if we have the right balance, our motto is and should be, come as you are, leave changed. God can, God can change you. And it's only through compassion and truth will make that happen. You can't have just compassion. Liberals supposedly have compassion. But you've got to have truth too to make a difference. And, by the way, it's the only way to have real compassion. What good does it do us, what good does it do anybody who walks through our door and we don't give them any way or a path to deliverance from their sin? That's not compassion. Truth and compassion. Real truth and compassion says we'll meet you where you are, but you, have, you don't have to stay there. Come as you are, leave change. Now, in closing, I want to just show you one more uh, seen in scripture. You, you know it well. We don't have to turn there. You've got much of it memorized, but uh, Jesus demonstrates this truth and compassion principle. It's uh, at, the, at a well, and uh, Jacob's well, in John chapter 4, and he meets a woman of questionable character. She was a Samaritan woman that already had one strike against her. Thank God that he did not have to run his people through some racial filter. Amen? Reached everyone. He tells her of the living water. You know it 
you know the story well. We've preached on it probably ten times. And he tells her about the living water, and she responds, I'll take it. She says in verse 15, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not. And so Jesus said, Then bow your heads ahead and close your eyes and pray this prayer. That's not what he said. He said, Go call thy husband. Now, you see, now look, I've been out soul winning and witnessing to people, and if I can get them to the I'll take it moment, I'm real careful not to mess that up. Amen? I want to get a decision. Because then I can go back and I can tell everyone else, I just led somebody to the Lord. Amen. I can tack it on. Jesus didn't say that, though. He didn't seize that moment. He said, go call thy husband. Why? Because truth has to be entered into the mixture. Sin has to be dealt with. You've got to deal with the sin. And so he, dealt, he, he not only had compassion enough to talk to her and love on her and tell her about the true living water, he also introduced truth in there. He had, she had to deal with her sin. Unless we deal with the sin problems of those that come into our way, we're not helping the sinner. My goal is to have the right balance of compassion and truth. We must hold on to both. If we don't, we'll slide into a, an extreme of the wrong sort. I've seen it. You've seen it. It frustrates the ever-loving fire out of me to see good men go down the wrong path because of compassion. It's not really compassion if you don't have truth in the mix. Amen? And we can't, have, we can't sit and stand and pound pulpits and shout and holler about the truth that we're proclaiming if we have no compassion won't do any good. It'll be you and like two other people who are just as angry as you are. Let's have compassion, but let's not forsake the truth. Thank you, Father, for loving us.